Hello and welcome to the Networking Lab. I'm your host, Jamie Stewart from Circle Networks. Are you ready to scale your business in order to earn more and work less? In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with real business owners to reveal what's working for them to help you leverage time and your network to improve your life and business. Hello and welcome. It's episode 16 of the Networking Lab and today I'm joined by Caroline King. Hello, Caroline. Hello, and thank you very much for inviting me, Jamie. I'm really looking forward to this. Me too. So, Caroline, you help people um, use, make best use of the tool that they've had all their lives that they've probably never had any help in, in improving. And in that, that's their voice. Yeah, I um, do indeed. It's, I think, one of the most underrated things that we have within inside ourselves that we can do amazing things with where when you when you see somebody who can really use their voice you kind of watch and think oh wow look at the way they're communicating look how the other person is responding look at the connection that's been happening here and that's what I would wish for every single person on this planet It's to be able to have that experience and to be able to create that experience. Um, and I think more than ever, as more and more people, I mean, if you're listening to this, it's probably on audio, although we do share the video, more and more people are using their voice to improve, to grow their business. So in the past, we would have met more people face to face where body language plays a bigger part of it. But now we're relying on video technology where our voice becomes a big part of the communication process. But before we get onto that, give us give us your potted history of your career to date. Oh, wow. So um, I went off to uh, study to become a professional musician and uh, and in particular a singer. Now, I'd been doing anything to do with the stage, uh, dance, singing, acting, uh, anything around any of those types of things. Uh, play the piano, I play the flute, um, lots of different things. Uh, acting, uh, poetry, reading, uh, all kinds of stuff since I was five years old. I have been learning my craft since I was five years old. I remember the first time, I was about five, when I uh, went onto a real stage for the first time. And I remember my teacher telling me in the dance studio, she said, you've learned all the stuff. It looks great, you're doing fantastic. But when you get onto the stage, you have to be able to share that with your audience. Yeah. And therein came my first lesson in what we often hear about as projection. And you think, but dancers don't speak. No, they don't. But they still have to project their thoughts and their feelings and everything through the movement. Projection is so much more than just using your voice and how other people hear you. It's all of that as well. So... Then she started to show me what I now needed to practice to be able to get up on that stage and so that the people in the audience would feel drawn towards me and want to be part of what's going on and to feel that communication with me as a five-year-old. And that's kind of where it all started. Wow. And then what's, what's happened since then? So from five to now? 
Oh, gosh. Uh, so there was all of that stuff that, that was going on. And then I went and uh, did my music uh, degree. I did that at, at um, what was Kingston Polytechnic at the time, because it was the only place you can do a music conservatoire type degree. So if you go to uh, any university, even if it's Oxford or Cambridge, and you, you read music, you might do huge amounts of playing, but none of it is graded, and none of it gets to be part of your music degree. Whereas a conservatoire degree is different. It has all of that. So you had to do a first instrument, second instrument, you're graded, you have to do recitals, you have to uh, be in a choir or the orchestra, and you've got to do all of these kind of other things. You need to be able to uh, arrange music for other instruments, compose, obviously write essays. We still had to do all of that as well. But yeah, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, that was just adding to what. Uh, I was already being taught um, all the way through my childhood and my teenage years and, and everything else. So that that um, was basically all part of that. And then um, also uh, before I, I went and did my degree, which was a little bit later than most people do it, um, when especially when you do voice things and singing, they prefer it if you're a little bit older, so your voice is settled a little yeah. bit more because we all know how um, men um, boys voices break and we all know about that but women's voices do the same thing as well but more gently over time it's a, a little uh, it's not as noticeable necessarily as it is with the boys but then your voice is not settling down until perhaps your mid-20s so it's better if you kind of do, do it later which is basically uh, what I did. But before that, I had joined the London Philharmonic Choir. So the London Philharmonic Orchestra in London, one of the most world-renowned orchestras in the whole world, has a choir, and I was in that choir. And I had the most amazing time in that choir. We did some of the most amazing things. Um, I went on tour with them when they went to Italy and, and stuff like that. And we, we did recordings. There was a fantastic conductor called Klaus Tenstedt, um, and this was back in the 80s. And he was an amazing conductor. Anytime he was there with the London Philharmonic conducting that, the, every single t person in that orchestra were just looking at him. They couldn't get enough of, and they couldn't do enough in terms of getting to do what he wanted. It was the most amazing thing. And then, of course, there were all the things that he did with them, which needed a choir, um, a bit like Mahler's Symphony uh, Number no. Eight. It's often called the Symphony of a Thousand. The joke it's that, uh, is that it takes a thousand people, with the orchestra and the choir and the soloist and everything else, to actually put this on. Um, it's not quite a thousand, but we're talking about a lot of people. Now, Klaus Tenstedt at that time was recording all of the Mahler symphonies with the London Philharmonic. And so we did Mahler's Eight. And it was the most amazing experience. We actually recorded it in Walthamstow Town Hall. I remember going up there every single evening uh, when, when they did all the choir bits. And we did all of that, and it was, it was just 
a just fantastic experience. And then what then happened not long afterwards, it got nominated for a Grammy. And then it won. So I was part of a Grammy winning wow. performance. And it was, but I understood why the orchestra just couldn't do enough for this guy. You know, there were times where he would go, no, 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 no. I mean, quiet, it's got to be quieter. And we, and we would be quieter. I mean, having 100, 150 people sing as quietly as possible is actually one of the most spine tingling, wonderful things that you can ever actually witness or, or be part of. And then he would, he would in rehearsal go, no, 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 no. I mean, unbelievably quiet. And we would just do whatever we could. And that meant that we all had to up our game in terms of, for me, in terms of the voice, what could I do to keep and sustain the sound while I was being as quiet as possible, but without stopping the sound at any particular point? It's quite a feat of technique to be able to do that. I love it. Fast forward to now then. So you've had an amazing career working in the music industry. Um, yep. And the bit that stood out for me the other week was just thinking about what have I ever actually done to try and improve my voice to help me get my message across? And this stood out. You gave you gave an example of someone that you worked with recently where you've helped them shorten their, their sales process and increase their sales. So just share uh, that with us. <laughs> okay. So what I noticed as I started working with uh, speakers and other people who are using their voice to speak a lot was that they often said things not just the first time but a second time and often a third time and occasionally a fourth time not in exactly the same words but very similar so we're just saying the same thing but in a slightly different way and I was kind of thinking well what's why is this happening what's going on here and the more I observed this happening, and sometimes it was in networking meetings and, and all that kind of thing, I realized that the first time they said it, it wasn't coming across. It wasn't landing. So they felt they had to do it again to get their point across. And again, it didn't land, so they had to do it again. So one of the things I noticed with my clients was that as we started using various different vocal techniques and really getting things moving so it was flowing in their voice, that kind of thing disappeared. So they didn't need to now say things three or four times. Often once was enough. And that's when, when I was working with a particular client and they were a sales consultant uh, selling quite high ticket programs, courses, they were given an hour to go through with a prospective client to therefore close the sale. And so in a three hour period, there were three consultations. And what we found was that by being able to speak and communicate where things were landing the first time, that hour, that 60 minutes came down to 35 or 40 minutes. Now, suddenly we were in a different ball game because in a three hour period, that means you can have four conversations with people, not just three. Now, that particular person's conversion rate was around 50%. So when it was three, 
they would usually do one out of the three, sometimes two. But when it was four conversations, they tended to always sell two and sometimes three. And that was the magic of being able to communicate and connect better. So at the moment, this sounds a little bit smoke and mirrors in that you can work some magic with somebody on their voice and it improves their sales. Give us, um, for those that don't know, what kind of things can you help people with? Oh, goodness. Um, there, there are so many different things that we're unhappy about um, sometimes. I mean, and there's also the unconscious biases. I mean, think about that as well. The unconscious bias is that we must have a low voice so that we command authority. The thing is that when we don't have a low voice and we have perhaps quite a high voice and we don't use any vocal techniques, then it's very easy for you to interrupt me and you're being very nice, but sometimes in a meeting, people are not so nice and they will just interrupt you like this. And that's where vocal technique can come in because by now employing that technique, my voice is bigger, fuller, it sounds lower, and this means that people want to listen. So there's lots of things at this particular point that's going on. One is it's a technique that's taken my voice into the human hearing sweet spot. Mammals, all mammals have this sweet spot. So you think about dogs, the principle of the dog whistle, blow the dog whistle out of our range, we can't hear it. Yes, it's within the dog range, but it's within a much smaller range of that hearing sweet spot, which is why dogs always want to go to it as soon as possible, whether they're on the lead or not. So you need to be making sure that you're going to have to run after them if they hear one of those things. Now, we don't obviously want to whistle at our fellow human beings, but we can get our voice into using that area so that we can hit the human hearing sweet spot. So that's brilliant. So if you're a speaker, just getting up on stage, opening your mouth, people want to listen. At that point, they don't even care what you're talking about. They just want to listen. So that's that's one good thing around it. That's one thing I can I can help with. Um, this thing about having a much rounder uh, body of, of voice, you see, doing that means that it's much more difficult for other people to want to interrupt you. It almost has a physical feel of not actually being able to get in. And when I've done it in workshops with people and I've got them to try and interrupt me and I've put this on and, and, and done all of this and I've just started speaking and I've got a nice person from the, from the workshop audience, if you like, and said, okay, try and interrupt me, try and interrupt me. And they would, you can see them, they open their mouth and they go, to, and then they can't. And so they try in every single different way. So that is brilliant, especially if you're finding that people do interrupt you. It's really good if you've got a particular point that you know people need to listen to to the end. You know, sometimes how if you get interrupted and then it gets chopped around, yeah. the idea gets lost. 
And with this, you can make sure the idea gets heard properly and the first time. So it's really good as succinct and clarification is there. So there's that. The other thing it did, you may have noticed that when I demonstrated a moment ago, my voice seemed to go higher because that's where my natural voice is. So what you were hearing was my natural voice. But by using this technique, what it does is it enacts all the lower enharmonics. So what is an enharmonic, you're going to ask me. Say you've got a, a bell on a stand and you give it a bit of a tap and the bell rings out and you let it keep ringing out. You don't stop it. As you listen carefully, you start to hear not just the pitch of the bell, but a whole load of other pitches around it. And that's what enharmonics are. And we can use those in our voice. So if you've got a higher voice, it enacts the lower ones. It helps make your voice perceived to be lower. If you've got a low voice, then it enacts the higher pitches. And again, it makes it perceived that you've got a slightly higher voice. Because actually, some people with really low voices, it's really difficult to, to hear them properly and to listen to what they're saying. And this can do that. So this technique stabilizes out your voice, for example. The other thing it will do is it will help prevent you getting hoarse. Because if you have to speak a lot more than you would do in normal everyday life, you're putting extra intensity into your voice. And now you've got to be careful about how you look after it. So you need certain techniques so that you can really support the voice around this extra, more intensive activity of speaking that you're doing. Otherwise, you can find yourself into trouble. So we need prevention. It's better than cure. Okay, I like the sound of that. So for, for most people listening to this, they probably use Zoom for a lot of their, or Teams, for a lot of their business now. Um, are those the kind of people that you work with? They are some of the kind of people that, that I work with, definitely, because there is so much more that's being done on Zoom or on Teams, as you're saying. There's the, you know, it's reducing costs in terms of travel and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it means that people don't have to have long commutes anymore. But there is the other side to it is that people are really been struggling with being able to communicate yeah. through this medium and these technologies because they're not used to it. And, and, and we've not grown up with it. We don't know how to deal with it or anything else. Um, what I know is that it's a, it's a bit like in some ways being on stage. The bigger the audience, and if you like, the bigger the stage you're on, the bigger you need to be. Now, when you look at actors, because I've worked with a lot of actors as well, when you work with actors and they have to do screen work, then the acting and how you use your voice tends to change from being in the physical theater into, is it a TV screen that they are recording for? Is it a great big, huge blockbuster film that you're going to go and pay money and see at the cinema? Because the two things are different. And so with a great big, huge screen, 
the acting and the vocal work becomes smaller. Otherwise, it just sounds as if it's too big and and you would look at it going, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. If it's a TV screen, it's a much smaller one. Even though we can have great big screens these days, it's still much smaller than that great big huge film screen. And therefore, the acting level needs to go up. So you need to be looking at all of that. So when they are now doing this with people they know on Zoom or whatever, my first thing I say to them is, how big are you on the screen when you're talking to people? Are you doing it one-to-one? Is it a, 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 a meeting? How big are you going to be? Because if you're, not, if you're in uh, a meeting with 16 people and you are that big, you now need to be bigger as if you're on a huge stage with a huge audience in the physical world. Otherwise, they can't even see your lips moving, let alone a facial expression. And so how can they get anything from that? And again, with their voice, there is no up and down going. And you kind of think, especially if you knew them beforehand and used to, you know, talk to them next to the water, water cooler or coffee or whatever it is, you're thinking, what happened to their voice? It sounds a bit monotonous. Why did that happen? And this is what happens with the technology we're using. So we now need to learn about it and how to now work with it okay. to get the best. So give me, give me a couple of tips that people could employ themselves to improve the, the quality of their voice and the communication that they're making. Okay, so there is, I think there are, are two main things. One of them is around all the different muscle groups in your body that support breathing and support your voice. Especially if you are using Zoom teams, um, doing videos for your business because you're promoting them. And so in other words, you're using your voice an awful lot more. To have that strength within the muscles means that you get to support the voice because if you don't all the support comes up here into your throat and the muscles around your larynx and what we don't want is your vocal folds do this very lovely movement but as soon as you put the tension into your throat because your throat is now trying to support so the tension goes in this is what happens with your vocal cords so just describe that then because most people are going to listen to this on a podcast although we're recording it on video okay. so okay so i'm using my hands and basically the vocal folds come and i'm bringing like two hands together nice and gently they meet and then they go away and that just keeps going that's how their vocal folds are supposed to happen but the problem is that you put the tension into the throat where the throat is trying to support the voice that instead of this nice meeting nicely it now like a sort of scratches against each other it's a bit yeah. like if you've ever had a carpet burn you know you've oh. moved across the carpet a bit and that's what's happening now to your vocal cords this is how you get to have a hoarse voice for example if we now use the muscles that are in your tummy uh, your diaphragm, the intercostal muscles, all the way down to actually your pelvic floor muscles, 
this all can take the strain and therefore it leaves the throat and all the muscles around the throat not having to try and do such a huge job. You think about how big uh, your tummy muscles are and all of those other muscles that I've just mentioned, and then you're trying to make your throat muscles do all that work, no, it's not gonna work. So yeah, we strengthen all of those and there's various different exercises that you can do to be able to do that. And then what happens is over a period of time, you will begin to notice that perhaps you can speak a longer phrase in your sentence. And then after a little bit of time, you'll also notice that it sounds like your voice sounds stronger. And after a little bit more time, what begins to then happen is other people begin to notice too. And that becomes really good at that particular point because you know that all the hard work you've done has paid off and it's making a difference. The strength in your voice also equals credibility and authority. So you do that. That technique that I mentioned earlier on, now if you're um, a singer, uh, not necessarily a classical singer, but just an ordinary singer, uh, that is a technique uh, that I help people to use, not, um, and I have done it with singers, but I do it with speakers because the same technique works whether you're singing or speaking. It's actually called twang. And that is what I'm helping people to do uh, when they're doing that. And that means you can put all of these different things that I've talked about. Imagine the whole thing going together. You've got strong muscles, they're supporting everything. Your voice sounds free and moving and it flows beautifully. You've got this beautiful full-bodied tone. You've got the lower enharmonics going on, the upper um, higher notes going in your voice as well. You can really use them to align with the meaning of the words that you're doing. You can create the variety that's going on. You're going up, you're going down. You can do whatever it is with your voice because you can support it. That's what we're looking for. I would imagine for the people listening to this, you're thinking, Do you know what? I've never actually thought about how I speak. We might have thought about perhaps how we pronounce words. I remember my dad was a school teacher and I grew up in Cumbria. So there was a lot of broad Cumbrians. He was Scottish and, and he wasn't that keen on a really broad accent, being a teacher, I guess. So he used to pick me up on pronunciation and slang words that we would use. Um, that's probably the most that somebody might have thought about their regional dialect more than anything. <laughs> How can you, can you demonstrate the difference between speaking in different parts of your body? Uh, so um, earlier on, um, when I, I took that twang out of my voice, as it's called, and I'm left with what's quite a thin voice and a much higher voice. So for a lot of women, if that's happening and they've got quite a high voice, uh, credibility, unfortunately, no matter what you're saying, what words you choose, tend to go out the window because of it, even for some men. I mean, you might want to uh, try and make it some kind of brand thing like Pasquale does. And that's fine. That's a nice gimmicky thing to do. But in everyday life, are you going to be able to get away with being able to do that? Unfortunately, 
and I'm going to put it back in now, it's better that it's not. So what's happening now at the moment is um, I'm connecting with the muscles in my tummy and my intercostal muscles. I can feel them working and, and I'm using them. I'm using them to put the strength in there. I'm blending that voice. I'm doing about a, what I would call a 50-50. So that, uh, that voice that I had, which was very thin, my normal voice, I'm blending it in with a second type of voice. Now, are you ready for this? Because this is a bit weird. So um, I sometimes refer it to as the witch's voice. So when I get to teach this, I get everybody to do this. So if you used to watch Friends, for example, and oh, what was her name? The one who was the ex-girlfriend of Chandler. Oh, Chandler. <laughs> that is full on twang. Now, what's happening inside of me? So this is where the brain comes in. So the brain is taking my normal voice with the witchy voice, blending the two together. So I've got 50% my normal voice and 50% witchy voice. And blend the two together. And then I get this instead. Now, the best secret around this particular type of voice comes next. I had a client who had to speak in a church at an event in Covent Garden in London. And it was really, really kind of echoey and really weird acoustic, apparently. Um, and what she realized was, as she was standing there, she couldn't even move her head because if she moved her head, everybody, if she moved her head this way, everyone that side couldn't hear her and vice versa. Whereas if she kept it dead straight, everybody could hear her. No one had a microphone, so everyone had to use their voice. And because she understood about all of this type of stuff, she was using it really well. Apparently, out of, I think there were six speakers in total that day, she was the only one that could actually be heard by everybody. Wow. Now, what she used was, instead of 50-50, she was using 80% witch and 20% normal. So you can now muck around with the percentages so that you can cut through an acoustic. Uh, there's all kinds of different ways you can do it. So you can, if you're in a physical room, you can try it out and work out how much do I need? Is it 50-50 today? Is it 60-40? Is it 75-25? Whatever it is, you can then adjust to make sure that it's really easy for your audience to hear you. But that also goes if you're in a networking room. So I, I've had a couple of times where people have said to me, you know, when it gets really busy and there's cha-cha-cha-cha-cha all over the place and it's really, and sometimes it can be really hard to even just hear the person who's right next door to you. And they said to me, I noticed that I never had a problem listening to you when you were when you were speaking, it just when we were having coffee. Why was it that it was okay and it was easy to listen to you, but, but when I was with everybody else, it wasn't happening? And that was why, because I'd taken things up to about an 80% witch 
and 20% not. I love that. Okay, uh, I've got two more questions. What difference does posture make? Um, okay, so posture basically means that you've got freedom for your ribs to move and your diaphragm to move, for example. So if you're all hunched up like this, you probably heard there was a reaction in my voice. <laughs> so it doesn't like it, basically. It needs, um, it needs movement. There's no two ways about it. So if I um, put my hands up like this, uh, interleaving my fingers, then these bits, my arms here, um, are a bit like, that's your ribs. Uh, this No, the ribs are uh, of my elbows, sorry. And then this bit here, which now means down, and when you breathe out, the diaphragm goes up. And of course, if you've then, not a great deal. So therefore, you're stopping your diaphragm from actually helping you. And it's all squished, and it's very hard for it to move. So that, just from that particular point of view, Posture, if um, even now when I'm doing this, I've got my feet solidly on the ground, which means I have to make sure that I'm sitting on a chair where my feet can actually touch the ground. Because there are times when I have been places where because I'm quite sh a short type of person, it's sometimes I, I might be able to get my toes there, but it's not enough. You need to feel grounded to be able to do this. So yeah, that helps as well. Also, if you're standing to speak, and you know how some people all, um, they're kind of all, all sort of scrunched onto one because they bend one knee and, 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 and it, apart from looking horrible, <laughs> and it doesn't, doesn't give you much confidence. I like what you're saying, but um, you, don't, you don't inspire confidence in me, so do you really know what you're talking about? So. <laughs> You can get that kind of, this is what happens in people's minds. All you're doing all the time, actually, when you do things like that. And I know some people do it because they're nervous. And I can understand that. But actually, what you're doing now is actually undermining yourself, which is a real shame. Posture is important. I mean, I remember reading, learning, hearing younger, in, much younger in my career, about making sales calls with people that you're much better when you're on the phone, this is pre the internet, that you should stand up to have those kind of conversations. And I'm guessing that's because it opens up your diaphragm and that you can speak in that way so you get your message across in a confident way rather than when we hunch up, everything's constricted yeah, and we don't have that depth to our voice. Yes, we don't. But also notice when you did that how how it, it uh, even your voice uh, sort of uh, felt small. And, and when, when we're small like that, it kind of has a feeling that for other people, because we're thinking about the reactions of other people, other people's reaction is, ooh, ooh, are they okay? Or um, do, they, do, do they really know what they're talking? So all of this kind of stuff starts to come in. That little voice in our heads starts telling us things when we pick up some of these um, things unconsciously. So we want to try and get rid of 
other people's little voices and yeah. turn them around going, Cor, it's been really nice talking to you today. I really felt connected. I really resonated with this or all of those types of things. Once you start to get that kind of response, you know you're well on the way. So do you can you tell the difference then if you were just listening to somebody, if they were sat on the sofa compared to sat at, say, a desk chair? Um, it, it, it depends because it depends on how you're sitting, whether it's a sofa or, or the desk chair, because okay, so, a chair. so it, it's about how you, how you sit. I mean, uh, when I talk to people and have, uh, say one-to-ones with people or conversations with prospective clients, that type of thing, um, I can sit on a chair and do that. I must admit, if uh, I do a workshop, I will tend to have it so that I can stand up, move around. I tend to want to move the camera down so they can see perhaps what's going on with my ribs. They can also, uh, you, you can be able to show what's happening with your diaphragm and stuff like that. So I, I, I like that ability to, to be able to move around and do that and get them to do it as well. So they get to, they don't just sit down and do a workshop with me. You can't sit down and do a workshop. Not with me. That doesn't work. You have to have enough room around you to be able to move around, to get up, sit down, do this, do and whatever, and, and, and just have fun with it. Because that's, you know, when you have fun, you've, you've watched it with children. When they're having fun, they learn. And that's what I like to do. Okay. My, my other question was around, I've heard of people doing warm-up exercises. Now, if we think about athletes, they would, before a runner goes out, they will do some stretching, they'll do some warming up, they'll get themselves probably in the right mental state to go and give their best performance. How many of us just turn up for a networking event, say, or a Zoom call with a potential client where we've gone, we've been doing some emails, we've been doing some work, we've finished something and we jump straight on to, all right, it's it's three o'clock now, I need to log on for that Zoom call. And we go sit at our desk from one thing straight into the next. Is there a benefit to people doing something to warm up their voice? Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't think you'd really expect me to say no. But yeah, absolutely. Um, let me tell you a little story. When when I used to do a lot of workshops in physical rooms, which I, I, I still do, uh, we used to... Um, they all used to start off by being given about 60 seconds, a minute, a minute and a half, 90 seconds, just to introduce themselves a little bit. So I'd get them to stand up, introduce themselves. I'd often record it, uh, you know, not surreptitiously. They knew where they were being recorded, but, you know, uh, not so that it was in your face. And, and, and so they did that. And we did it straight off. And we would then... Um, Basically, also at that particular time, everybody who was in the workshop would just, I know it's very crude, but just give a mark out of 10 for, you know, how it's coming across and what the, you know, and how the voice is and does it help or not and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then the next uh, couple of hours, I would then go through teaching them uh, a warm-up routine. And so we would do various things in the pitch of our voice and stuff to do with our faces. Like, you know, there's a sort of big face and little face. You screw your face up and you do all of these things. And you do, um, there's the chewing of the toffee. 
So you really get the mouth moving and everything else. Then you'll do things with consonants, ba 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 ba, ka 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 ka, da 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 da, and all kinds of different things like that. Uh, we would walk the grid. So there's walking. Uh, pretend you can see a grid on the floor, and you can walk the grid and and do all of loads and loads and loads of stuff. And as soon as they'd learnt all of those different things, now a warm up doesn't need to take two hours. But it was the learning of the warm up that took that. Yeah. I can, you can distill this warm up into 10 minutes, basically. So they'd done the warm up. We then got them back to redo their 60, 90 seconds. And we recorded it again. And everyone did their mark out of 10. Everybody, no matter where they were in terms of their vocal prowess, all went up at least two marks out of 10, and sometimes as many as four marks out of 10, just by doing a warm-up. So it's kind of worth thinking about doing before you yeah. start working business. What, what different? So just to, so if you're listening to this, what if you did do some of this? What if you tried it? You know, we all might hear that thing about an apple a day keeps the doctor away. What yep. if that was true and you did that? You're not eating more healthy stuff. So we're familiar with that. Yep. What if you incorporated some warm-up exercises and, and a bit more thought into how you're speaking? What difference could that make to your business? Oh, gosh. Um, and it's by the way, it's really easy to put certain things in. There's a particular breathing exercise which creates resistance around around the diaphragm and we know what resistance training can do in terms of strengthening um if someone does it twice a day and i usually get them to do it uh either before or after they clean their teeth so they now do a breathing exercise and this breathing exercise takes no more than about 15 20 seconds to do twice a day we're cleaning your teeth a week later I can hear the difference. Now, you have to remember my listening is very acute because I've been doing this all my life. But I can hear the difference in that person's voice just by them doing it twice a day to that particular point. Now, you get to a point where what you say lands the first time with a prospective client. You don't have to repeat anything. They're really with you. You can feel that connection and they can feel that connection and you can feel that they want to work with you. So at this point, it's your, your, they're selling themselves. They're selling themselves on you. Isn't it great? Right. We're back from a power cut. So Caroline had a quick power cut. Everything just went off and back again now. So we were just talking about, what if people applied some of these tips and put a, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of effort into improving the way that they use their voice? What have you seen results-wise from people in business from using some of these things? Um, what I've seen is that clients have found it easier to convert prospective clients. They've been able to really showcase what it is they can do and then through their voice and through being able to communicate with their voice they've been able to show that they they do they are the expert they do know what it is that they can do for their client the client can see it they feel confidence 
in that particular person. And then what happens in that sales process is that the client themselves starts to sell themselves into whether it's your program or your product or or whatever it is, because that no like and trust thing, that connection, that resonance is really starting to build trust there and then. And so that makes a huge difference. So it doesn't matter whether it is a sales call or whether it is at a networking meeting or whether it's even at Circles Network and you get into your breakout rooms and you're doing the same thing there, then yes, you would sort of, it, it really sort of comes across and it makes, it just means that, you know, in that breakout room when you've got maybe three or four people, you can you can really sort of feel a difference about some somebody when you can sort of um, see what see what's going on with them. They're really expressing themselves well. The sound of their voice matches that expression, and you kind of go, "Yeah!" And you well, and you start immediately what you're doing because in a networking situation you're looking, "Well, how can I help that person?" And that's immediately what you're inner little voice is going to how can I help us do I know somebody who does that yes oh so-and-so might be able to yeah oh my friend yeah that that person would be really great with this and so that's how it goes because otherwise you're then actually thinking uh I wish they I wish they could say it a little bit better or that's how their little voice goes so instead of thinking about how to help you they're thinking about how you could have communicated better with them. I totally agree. Totally agree. So my challenge to to you is reach out to Caroline to find out more about what she does. Um, So Caroline, if someone's interested in finding out more about your services and how you work with people, what's the best way for them to, to do that? So the best way you can do that is you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find. Uh, So if you look at Caroline E. King, then I come up immediately. Um, That's why I put my middle initial in there. Otherwise, there's lots of Caroline Kings. So Caroline E. King um, gets to you there immediately. So you message me. uh, You can connect with me there. And that's the the easiest way to do it okay really appreciate you coming on today it's been fascinating to hear more about how we can use our voice to improve our communication get our message across save time uh and improve our sales and i'm imagining we haven't even touched on any of this that it would just improve all our day-to-day relationships with our kids with our other halves Oh, goodness, yes. I I used to use my voice a lot when my son was a teenager. I That probably helped save my sanity at times. <laughs> Just, um, a, a, you know, response from him rather than grunting at me, for example. So, yeah, but we've all been there with, uh, you know, grunting teenagers and everything else. <laughs> it, it, it does work. It does definitely work. Definitely. Thank you very much. So if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, make sure you click the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on interviews in the future. And I would love it if you could take a screenshot and share it on your social media to encourage more people to listen to this fantastic podcast. Thanks very much, Caroline. Hope to see you soon. Thank you.